Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the maidens love you. Take me away with you, let us hurry. Let the king bring me to, into his chambers. We rejoice and delight in you. We will praise your love more than wine. How right they are to adore you. Dark am I, yet lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the ten curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards. My own vineyard I have neglected. Tell me, you whom I love, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman beside the flocks of your friends? If you do not know, most beautiful of women, follow the tracks of the sheep and graze your young goats by the tents of the shepherds. I liken you, my darling, to a mare harnessed to one of the chariots of Pharaoh. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. While the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My lover is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My lover is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyard of Engedi. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. How handsome you are, my lover. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant. The beams of our house are cedars. Our rafters are firs. The second reading today is from Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 to 14. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his fields, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This is the word of God.
Well, welcome again, uh, especially if you're, you're new amongst us or passing through. It's great that you're able to join us, um, and it is great that you managed to find a park. It's been a pretty busy day, as what I can gather. Uh, we're picking up again in uh, our last of looking at a book of week, a book of wisdom a week. We've looked at Psalms and Job. We've looked at uh, Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, trying to grasp what God has to tell us uh, about the wise life and be excited about it. Uh, and uh, if you've never come across Song of Songs before, that's where I want you back, page eight, uh, 479, um, a poem that perhaps you found surprising and a little unusual uh, to discover in the Scriptures. Uh, it's one we'll be looking at a little more closely this morning. But how about I give thanks and, and pray that we might understand it. Uh, oh Lord and Father, we thank you that you're a God who uh, loves to be known. Uh, and we thank you for giving us your word that we might know you. And we thank you even more that you pour out your spirit uh, to incline us to actually want to love the things that you love. And we ask that uh, this morning you would be pouring your spirit out upon us, uh, that we would delight in the things that you teach us, that we would be reshaped into the image and glory of the Lord Jesus. Uh, And we pray this for his honour. Amen. Well, let me ask you from the outset, uh, how does marriage make you feel? And when you hear that word, uh, how does it make you feel? I mean, we look at Song of Songs this morning uh, and we can't avoid then looking at marriage. And so it's just helpful for us to acknowledge from the outset uh, that marriage is not a neutral topic. Uh, Just now, I've mentioned marriage. Uh, Some of us are going to be chuffed. You know, marriage sounds like something, you know, we, we, we like of, we, you know, it fascinates us, it excites us, we, 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 we love it, and, and so it promises to affirm who we are and, and perhaps decisions we've made. That's some of us. But others will be a little more wary. Uh, may even be tempted to switch off or overwhelmed. You know, marriage sounds like for some of us something we may not ever get to experience or for some of us, something that we may not get to experience again. Now, for some of us who are even married now, even to mention it is just to bring up something that's um, tiring and a bit of a slog. So marriage is not a neutral topic, but it's an important topic. Why? Well, God says marriage should be honoured by all in Hebrews 13. Um, At the very least, that means that adultery is out. Uh, But more than that, it means that we've all got a responsibility to care for marriage. We need to care for our own marriage. We need to to care for others' marriage. But also, even more, why does marriage matter so much? Because God so often speaks of his relationship to us, his people, in terms of marriage, in terms of he is the husband to us, the bride. So if we don't think clearly about marriage, if we don't feel right, if we aren't wise about it, then we won't understand how God relates to us properly. We won't think clearly about that. So marriage is not a neutral topic, but how do we think wisely about it? You know, whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, whether you're an idealist or a realist, you know, what will wisdom look like in the most uh, important human relationship we might experience? What will wisdom look like when we understand that is how God views us as his people? Well, I've been saying over the last few weeks that, that wisdom is recognising reality and living in accordance with it. Uh, and so the wise life in Song of Songs understands that marital love is to be celebrated and it's to be protected. So Song of Songs, it's a, it's a rhapsody of love. 
Okay, uh, titled verse one, verse one, Song of Songs. It's titled in that way in the same way that we kind of have the Holy of Holies. You know, the place where God's presence dwelt most purely. Uh, in the same way, we we call Jesus the Lord of Lords, in the sense that He is the ruler over all other lords. You know, this is the Song of Songs. This is the song to end all songs. It's it's the song on the greatest theme uh, of love. But more than that. You know, we've heard a million songs on the radio about love, haven't we? No, more than it's a song about marital love. When was the last time you heard a song on the radio about that? You know, this is the song of songs. Uh, and there's a, a refrain of anticipation that runs through this poem. 2 verse 7, uh, bottom of page 479 there. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Um, it turns up again in 3 verse 5, uh, 8 verse 4, um, and, and it builds the poem eventually to a climax. After the waiting, after the separation of the lovers, they, they walk together in 8 verse 5, uh, back past her parents' place, where she was actually born, uh, and she's now in his company. And following that, that flow, that movement, the Song of Songs is not just another love song, it's, it's the poem of the greatest form of love, the love that's enshrined in the covenant of marriage. You know, the goal of this song is to, to kind of delight in the, the one flesh imagery of Genesis 2, where God instituted marriage before the fall. But at the same time, it, it's a celebration, it's not an exposition. You know, when in, in 1 verse 2, uh, it talks about uh, love being better than wine, uh, let me say, you're missing the point if you go, well, he probably hasn't sampled the South Australian Merlot. Uh, because that perchance, if you get the right vintage, no, no, you, you've missed it if you're worried about that kind of detail. You know, don't try and pin the details down, but feel it. Um, it's actually written in such a way to stop you being too precise with it. The flow is quite hard. It kind of moves around and circles around ideas and, and you move from place to place, location. So you go from the, the countryside to the city streets and you move inside and outside and, and, and there are dream sequences like in chapter 3 but it's not really clearly marked. And so it kind of blurs between kind of hopes and reality and fantasy and, and even trickier, um, there seem to be three main figures in this marriage. Uh, there's there's the poor Shulamite girl, there's the young shepherd lover, and there's this kind of idealised King Solomon who kind of leaps in and out. Now, it is meant to be felt. It's a rhapsody. It's not to be dissected. It's a rhapsody of marital love. And by swinging around these themes of, of, of the ideal and the reality, what we see is the wise life. The wise life sees that marital love should be celebrated and protected. Now, the idealism in it shows that it should be celebrated. Um, it's the major key, of, of, I suppose, of this song, that idealism. You know, the, the love there is set in this cultivated garden uh, in the countryside. It, it's, it's meant to remind us of the Garden of Eden, of paradise there. So in 117, uh, their house is actually made of trees and grass. The idea is they're back in Eden. You know, and it's idealistic about the value of love. If you skip to the end of it, um, 8 verse 11, only a page or two away, uh, it reads, Solomon had a vineyard in Balchamon, and he let out his vineyard to tenants, and each was to bring for its fruit a thousand shekels of silver. But my own vineyard is mine to give. The thousand shekels are for you, O Solomon, and 200 are for those who tend its fruit. Uh, the idea is that he wouldn't trade his satisfaction in his one vineyard, you know, his beloved, for all of Solomon's vineyards, all his harem. You know, in fact, in marital love, he can be as happy as the richest king. 
this is the idealism about married love. It pushes the wise person to actually celebrate it, just like the writer does. But there is a minor key of realism. There are dark notes in the song. She dreams in chapter 5 of going out, searching the city for her lover, and she gets brutalised in this dream by the watchman. You know, the song knows that uh, love in the world where sin has entered, you know, that, that love can be distorted and become lust and abuse. You know, again, it's aware that their love gets interfered with at points by onlookers, like in the opening chapter of the brothers, you know, her, her mother's uh, sons, who, who want to kind of keep her as a, a worker for their own benefit. You know, the, the song knows that third parties can interfere in marital love. In 2.15, there are foxes in their vineyard. This you know, Edenic paradise has problems. And perhaps the most fierce threat is in 8.6, that of death. You know, protection. He's not just an option, it's essential. That's the reality that it recognises that this marital love needs protection just as much as it needs to be celebrated. Now, if we've grasped that truth, let me, let me give us three implications if we've grasped that truth. Uh, remembering as we look at these that the marriage needs to be honoured by all, so whether or not you're married, it's not just about your marriage, even if you are married, it's about other people's marriage too. But even more, I want you to remember as we look at these implications that it captures something of the way God loves us, which we'll get back to. Uh, implication firstly, uh, patient arousal. If we take seriously the, the need to protect and celebrate love, then we need to be patient with it. That's the refrain, 2 verse 7, don't arouse or awaken love until it so desires, uh, and it's repeated through 3, 5, 8, 4. Uh, that celebration of marital love, you know, the delight of sexual relations, that is God's gift for those who are married and only for those who are married. You know, all good sex is married sex, which is not to say all married sex is good sex. That's too complex, come and ask me later. <laughs> yeah. Point is, it's not for those who aren't married. Now, I realise this is, this is radically countercultural. You know, we, we live in a culture that is try before you buy, uh, and so cohabitation is actually the norm rather than the exception now, certainly of couples who come to see me to get married. You know, despite the evidence that keeps suggesting that um, the highest chance of marital longevity uh, is by actually two people coming who haven't lived together and then getting married. That's, that increases your chances. A, a recent study in the UK uh, from earlier this year pointed uh, to a married couple had an 80% chance of lasting longer than a decade if they just went and got married, whereas a cohabiting couple had 60%. Uh, it decreases by trying before you buy. Uh, I told someone, a, a non-Christian friend, um, these stats, he was thinking through uh, whether to move in with his girlfriend. You know, I would, didn't tell him because I thought I was going to convert him. I, I just wanted him to benefit from the wisdom of Song of Songs and, and not arouse passion and silt so desires. You know, because again, our, our culture is not one that believes in, in delayed gratification. Uh, certainly the Gen X and younger don't. That's what they say. Our challenge is not just in terms of, of cohabiting, but even sex outside marriage. Now, as Christians, uh, we often agree that, that sex is not for anyone outside the marriage relationship, but, but often we find it harder in practice. But Scripture is clear, 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual immorality. You know, do not arouse passion before its time. Sex is not for singles. Uh, and the difference 
is not a line you cross, but a chasm you jump. And some of us who live outside God's call to exclusive marital relations need to repent of that. Now, I want want to remind you, be assured, Jesus can pay for absolutely any sin. That's what we celebrated as we did the Lord's Supper earlier in our service. But he did redeem us to live his way. If we are single, we need to be patient when it comes to arousal. Now, for some of us not in a relationship, it means a challenge to what you read, a challenge to what you watch, a challenge to what you dream about. Uh, I suspect for men, the the physical is more dangerous. For women, the fantasy relationship uh, is perhaps more dangerous. You know, if you're courting, I love that word. I know it's not in vogue these days, but, you know. You know, if you're courting and you want some practical guidance about what kind of physical contact is appropriate uh, to guard from impatient arousal, let me say, look at what uh, married couples around church are willing to do in public. You know, I, I think they've got just an intuitive grasp of what kind of contact makes for an appropriate display of public affection and what properly belongs in the privacy of their bedroom. Uh, and I want to say, if you think that doesn't give you much scope, uh, you're right. It doesn't, you know, because you're only allowed the public sphere, not bedroom privacy. Second implication. Delight in one another. You've already seen in, in the Psalms that wisdom uh, is not about being calm, cool and collected, but it's about being passionate for God and his ways. And, and Song of Songs celebrates love ecstatically uh, and it encourages married couples to, to delight in one another. You know, one aspect of that is going to be the physical delight. Uh, Song of Songs is passionate language. It's, it's fresh and it's uninhibited compared to the way uh, modern Christian talks about marriage, get all coy, you know, I'm one of those people, get all coy about it. Uh, you know, the descriptions of male and female body parts are meant to be as places of delight. You know, chapter 4, he praises his lover physically. How, four, one, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Uh, your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Your teeth, yeah, are like a flock of sheep, just shorn, coming up from the washing. You know, let's just say... Over time, some of the imagery is lost. Uh, but the idea is he, he just then moves down through her body, getting lower and lower, praising her. And in chapter 5, she reciprocates, 5.10. My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. His head is purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are like doves by the water, streams washed in milk, mounted like jewels. And she goes on. You know, we married couples, if, if we are to be wise in marriage, need to see the value of delighting in our partners. You know, to praise our partners, to find pleasure in them. You know, for, you say that to a newlywed and they go, yeah, of course. Uh, but as children come, uh, as time and tiredness creep in, you know, we mustn't forget the importance of delighting in one another. You know, it's, the, it's, it's an expression of the principle Paul gives in 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 7, that the, the wife's body doesn't belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, but also his wife. Do not deprive each other, he says. You know, Song of Songs affirms that our, our bodies and sexual relations are good. You know, the, the lack of mention of the, the possibility of children in Song of Songs actually encourages us to see that you know, delighting in one another 
is simply that. It's delight. You know, it's good to do that without having to achieve the outcome of a child. It's just right to delight. But, but the song is, is actually more than just about uh, sexual delight. It, it's ultimately about relational delight. You, you know, the climax in chapter 8 is not the kind of thing Hollywood produced. It's not a steamy scene. It's a relational one. They walk together past her parents' place. You know, both partners are giving and receiving love, uh, but they do it differently. So um, in 2 verse 3, she, she sits in his shade. You know, in 8 verse 5, she leans upon him. You know, the, the husband in, so, in the song provides this secure environment for, for her to freely express all her intimate needs uh, without any constraint. And in part, he does that by himself being entirely open about his need for her. You know, that, that, that mutual need and, and lack of barriers captures what Genesis 2 was about when it talked about one flesh. You know, and if we're going to delight in, in one another in marriage, then, then it means relating with openness. You know, perhaps some of us here need to book a coffee uh, with our spouse and have an honest conversation. Third implication, we need to protect it jealously. You know, marital love in an imperfect world needs vigilant protection. You know, throughout the song, um, there are various settings. We go to the city, we go to the country, we're inside, we're outside. Uh, in chapter 3, she, she dreams about searching the city streets and she dreams of taking him into the privacy of indoors to go where they're safe, to go somewhere where they are protected. Because there's this underlying principle in 2.16 that my beloved is mine and I am his. There is a right and proper jealousy for one another. Again, 8.6, place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. There's a rightness in jealousy protecting our marriages. Uh, Catherine Millet uh, is a French libertine and uh, writer. I must confess I've not read her works. Uh, she's most famous for um, a very sexually explicit account of her debauched life in the 60s and 70s. Uh, a few years ago, though, she wrote another book called Jealousy. Uh, it was her struggle in finding out about her husband's infidelity, even though she'd spent a lifetime of doing all manner of things. She couldn't handle the fact that he might do the same. Uh, a reviewer who, who has read the book that I haven't um, said... <laughs> Puritans will no doubt read this book as a vindication of good old-fashioned matrimony and fidelity. I'm not sure that's quite the message Millay wants to put across, but it's hard to deny that when two people in a relationship mess around, someone will get hurt, even, and perhaps especially, when they're both libertines. It's enough to make you feel extremely relieved to be boringly monogamous. And I think what Song of Songs helps us to see is, yes, when jealous protection is lost in marriage, people get hurt. But it wants to say, no, 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 monogamy is far from boring. You know, it, it is very delight in married love is what makes it protectable and worth protecting. You know, we, we need to actually set up fences around uh, our marriages from all manner of threats. We need to jealously protect them. You know, I, I encourage uh, men, uh, perhaps some of the men here have heard me say it, maybe you haven't, uh, to, to be careful, beware sharing uh, too much private information with female colleagues at work. Uh, why? I, I don't think it matters that they know this information. It, it's the act of sharing creates intimacy. 
and you just want to be careful about who you create that intimacy with. Uh, you know, friends of mine uh, have a fence of lounge time. Uh, when he got home from work, the first 15 minutes was sitting down chatting to his wife and the kids understood it, you know, and so they didn't come and speak. You know, it was their fence to, cons- be, to, to protect their marriage from being consumed by parenting. Uh, another fence might be, you know, don't put anything in the diary without consulting each other first, just to ensure that the busyness doesn't break in and ruin it. You know, you come up with your own fences, but marital love needs jealous protection. Now, the wise life sees that it is to be celebrated and protected. You know, we're not neutral about our marriage, we're not u- neutral about others' marriage, and we're especially not neutral when it comes to our relationship with God. You know, for we, God's people, are his beloved. Yeah, uh, the Jews actually sang this song annually uh, and they tied it to a feast. Any ideas which feast? No, it's always too painful to call out, isn't it? I'll tell you. Passover. This was their Passover song. You know, the Passover where they, they remembered that, that you know, the angel of death passed over them who had the, the lamb's blood around their door and they were spared and God redeemed them, brought them out of Egypt, made them a people. This, this was their song for Passover. And you kind of go, really? And then you think, yes, of course. Yeah, that was the moment when they were made his bride. It's their honeymoon song. You know, this is where they, they knew in redemption that to be God's people is to be loved and to want to love him in return. And so they delighted in that love. They delighted in that relationship with him as they sung it at Passover. You know, it's right for us to look at Song of Songs this morning as we together celebrated the Lord's Supper because that's where Jesus reinvents, reinterprets the Passover and says, no, no, it's actually about me dying for you to make you my beloved bride and make you mine. You know, God is committed to loving us. You know, that's the invitation he makes in Matthew 22. He invites people to the wedding feast, but even more, you get to revelation, he invites them to be the bride and to be loved like that. You know, and he celebrates us. That's that kind of way. I mean, in Luke 15, you might remember there's these parables of, uh, of I suppose, God being profligate and, and you know, welcoming back terrible sinners. And, and what's the conclusion? There's more joy in heaven over one sinner repenting. You know, there's celebration. Uh, in a beautiful, uh, saw Psalm 18 this morning. Psalm 18, 19 talks about how um, he saves us because he delights in me. He celebrates us. And he protects us. He keeps us in his love, like Luke 10, John 10, sorry, uh, where no one can snatch us out of his hand. You know, and just as God celebrates and protects us, Song of Songs, as we look at it and sing it, reminds us we must celebrate and protect our love for him. Because you know, that's wisdom. Nothing, needs to, nothing must get in the way and interfere with our celebration of the Lord and a desire to protect our relationship with him, honouring, celebrating, protecting marital love, human and, div- and divine. Yeah, marriage is not a neutral topic. And there may be important conversations we have to have over morning tea, or you need to have with one another. I invite them, please, please do them. But irrelevant of how it makes us feel, first of all, will we be, will we be wise? Will we listen to God? We honour and protect and celebrate marital love. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we 
Thank you for your lavish generosity. We thank you for uh, the gift of marriage and the delight that that can be. We acknowledge the need for it to be protected in uh, a world that turns away from you and when we know uh, our own failures. Uh, But Father, we thank you for the way in which you delight in us, that you have made us in Christ your beloved and your bride. Father, may we always delight in and celebrate and protect our relationship with you just as you delight in us and protect us. In Jesus' name, amen.